2: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
1: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts.
3: From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... An emergency department and hospital beds all in the city of East Point, where they're headed for closure. Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram talks about the potential impact on residents as well as public safety. We'll talk about that, economic development, and of course, what we always talk about, renting and housing affordability in the city of East Point. Also, a new program from PNC Bank looks to support and advance the growth of small-owned businesses. And it's the latest in a lot of these financial institutions creating pathways for entrepreneurs of color. All those conversations are coming up, but first this. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp will sign the controversial constitutional carry gun law today. It allows people to carry concealed firearms in Georgia without a permit. As Susanna Capaluto reports, he's holding a ceremonial signing at a gun range to send a clear message ahead of the May 24th primaries.
1: Governors often sign bills into law outside the Capitol to emphasize the subject matter. So Brian Kemp chose a gun range in Douglasville to sign what's known as constitutional carry. The setting should help his credentials with Republicans who are staunch supporters of the Second Amendment, says UGA political scientist Charles Bullock. It's a great event uh, for an incumbent to be able to do this. was one of the advantages of incumbency is that you can show, here I am, voters, look at me, I'm doing my job, I'm signing legislation, and oh, by the way, in case you had any doubts about where I stand on the Second Amendment, you know this should put those concerns to rest. And that could help Kemp in the May primary when he's facing some tough opposition, even as a sitting governor, says Bullock. While he is running ahead in all the polls, he is not consistently above 50 percent among likely Republican voters. And when you're incumbent, you know, that, that is a worrying sign. Bullock says while the gun bill plays well for primary voters, it could backfire in the general election in November. He points to an AJC poll from January, where 7 in 10 Georgians were opposed to a constitutional carry law. Susanna Capelluto, WABE News. In other news, plans
3: to merge two Atlanta public schools was the focus of a hearing last night. Martha Dalton reports on what some in the community had to say.
0: APS has proposed closing Thomasville Heights Elementary at the end of the school year due to the expected demolition of the Forest Cove apartments nearby. Thomasville students would go to Slater Elementary just a few miles away. Both schools are managed by a nonprofit called Purpose Built as part of a district turnaround plan. Chief Academic Officer Nikita Warfield tried to reassure parents.
1: Everything that we do, we do to ensure the very best outcomes for our students.
0: Sometimes the right decision is also the hardest decision. But Sharon Gatson wasn't moved. She's raising her granddaughter, who attends Thomasville. She lives near the school, but not in Forest Cove. She also doesn't have a car.
2: What if something happened to my baby over there at Slater? How am I going to get to her? Thomasville is accessible to me and mine.
0: There will be two more hearings before the board takes action. Martha Dalton, WABE News.
3: And a note of disclosure, as always, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. Arguments are set to continue today in the long-anticipated trial about voting rights here in Georgia. A federal judge will weigh whether the state violated the Voting Rights Act of Georgians by making it harder to vote in 2018 and 2020. As we hear from one of our WABE politics reporters, Sam Greenglass, he was in the courtroom for the first day of arguments yesterday.
1: After losing her 2018 campaign for governor, Stacey Abrams founded a voting rights organization called Fair Fight. Not long after, Fair Fight sued state officials, claiming Georgia systematically suppressed the vote. Most of their initial claims have been thrown out during more than three years of legal proceedings, but three of them are still before the judge. Over the next month or so, Fair Fight will call dozens of voters to the stand. They will say that the state's policies, like handling of voting lists and absentee ballots, created undue barriers to the ballot. The state will emphasize that humans run elections, and while mistakes happen, that is not evidence of a plot to disenfranchise voters. Sam Glass, WABE News.
3: And finally...
0: With the first pick in the 2022 WNBA draft, the Atlanta Dream select Ryan Howard
1: from the University of Kentucky.
3: Ah, yes, welcome to the A. That's what the Atlanta Dream tweeted. Minutes... After drafting Ryan Howard as the overall number one pick in last night's WNBA draft, the dream traded to get to the top spot in order to take Howard, and for good reason. Well, she's a two-time SEC Player of the Year, and this past season for the Kentucky Wildcats averaged 20 points per game, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists. That's pretty darn good. The Dream also selected Nas Hillman from the University of Michigan. She was named the All-Big Ten first team in each of her four seasons. And check this, she's the only player, man or woman, to record 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds in a Michigan career. Congratulations to both players. Let's go Atlanta Dream. The season should be much better than it was last season. Let's go. This is Closer Look. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. As always, I'm Rose Scott. You know, for the past few years, we've been following the population growth and economic development boom in the city of East Point. Just under 10 miles on a good traffic day from Atlanta, East Point, Hapeville and College Park, well, they're known as the Tri-Cities area. They've become hot spots. And like most of Atlanta's neighboring cities, with growth comes other issues, unintended or not. The latest in an emergency department and hospital beds in the city of East Point are headed for closure and there are other concerns, too, including public safety. Yes, economic development and, of course, rental and housing affordability. Where can folks live? What's the potential impact of all this on residents? Well, I'm joined now by the mayor of East Point, Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram. Madam Mayor, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you so much, Rose. It's great to be here with you today.
3: You know, the last few years that we've been following you all, you've been our sort of unofficial tour guide and, <laughs> and the keeper of all things City of East Point. Um, how y'all doing right now? How would you assess overall? Because you're speaking for all, <laughs> here's the thing, you're speaking for all the residents and businesses in East Point. <laughs> so what you say is going to be key. How y'all doing? Oh, wow.
2: We're doing good. There's no point like East Point. There's a lot of growth happening. There's um, a vibrancy and our city is thriving. So we're doing good. And, you know, I'll, as a, as with anything, when um, things are going well, there are some bumps along the way, but there are things that make us stronger. And so you you mentioned the, the Wellstar mm-hmm. recent announcement.
3: Well, we'll get to that in just a second. So With the population growth, um, what is your take on folks moving to East Point? What do you think that you all are offering that you're seeing sort of influx of people coming in?
2: You know, our diversity is truly our strength. So we have a diversity in demographics from multicultural to multi-generational city. Um, We have a significant LGBTQIA plus community. We have diverse housing stock. We literally have housing in our city that anyone can afford regardless of income level um, and quality housing. And so that is... Our commitment to equity and inclusion and making sure that is more than a cliche and that we create a city where residents feel valued and a part of what's happening and that we continue to have opportunities for people to gather and be a part, I think is what is really speaking to people and attracting them to the city of East Point, because I feel like people feel that this is a place that they can come and grow with us um, and actually be a part of the growth that is happening.
3: Well, what concerns do you have with this population growth do you you mentioned affordability now you know I do my research I went on I went on Zillow and I put in East Point Georgia now one person's affordability is another one's what so you know do you ask yeah me- so
2: you know it's interesting I was just having this conversation it comes up often as you can expect um I think in this country we spent so much time um really labeling and assigning a race or socioeconomic status or class of people to affordable housing that we've created a housing affordability issue so what do i mean yeah Just what do you mean by about that? when you talk about affordable housing the model in this country is their developments where there's like 10 percent of the units are affordable and the other 90% are market rate, right? Mm -hmm. An 80% gap that continues to grow the more you grow and develop in that way. And so when we uh, like marginalize affordable housing to just a class of people, we've created a housing affordability issue because we've allowed projects after projects to develop in that way. And when I say we, I'm talking about this country. And so that gap, we have a a huge gap of housing inventory for missing middle, the missing middle, Mm -hmm. middle income people, right? And so people who are just above low income or moderate income where the affordable housing targets and just under high income or the market rate and really where the units for the people in the middle and so As we continue to grow right now, yes, you're going to see some um, sticker shock prices on houses in the city of East Point, but there's still other communities and other neighborhoods within our city where there's still housing affordability, there's still opportunity for people to turn blight into bright and looking at some of our blighted properties, there's opportunities for people to, you know, have their first investment property or have a start home in our city or even new development at different income levels. So what's your response?
3: Well, what's your response to someone that says, well, are you saying then Madam Mayor, that if I come to East Point, let's say I'm I'm middle-class or, or even, you know, a low wage earner, that's a little bit below middle-class. You say I can afford something, but it might be in a, Blighted community, or it might be a property that I oh, have no. to fix up. Is that what you're saying?
2: Oh, no, that is absolutely not all what right, I'm well, saying. All right, well, clear it up. Because all right, Let me let me told thank you. Yes, thank you, Rose, <laughs> for that opportunity to clear it up. I am saying that there are those opportunities exist, but there is housing in this city affordable, quality, sustainable, livable housing at for different income levels that anyone can afford. So, those are examples of the Type of the analogy or the pro- properties that are often looked at when you talk about revitalization and mm-hmm. redevelopment of cities, how do you come in and take over those areas? And so I kind of pivoted to that, and it wasn't a smooth pivot. So thank you for letting me pivot back to say, um, no, we absolutely have housing. Um, that I mean, I'm not a high income person, right? I still live in the city, and but I so, hope so. Right. So like there's there's housing that everyone can afford. We're building how our our East Point Housing Authority is putting bringing on new units Mm -hmm. for um, people who they provide subsidy to or provide support for housing to. We have developers that are coming in that are building houses um, that are within, you know, maybe a two hundred fifty thousand dollar price range. We have an exchange project happening in downtown East Point that will have market rate units in one building. Another building will have workforce development housing. So housing for people who are making between like 47 to $60,000. And also potential for in phase two, there to be homeownership options. Mm -hmm. And so we absolutely have current housing that you can live in that you would really like in a quaint city.
3: I see how easy that was to clean it up and pivot. Yes,
2: thank you. (laughs)
3: Like all other cities, you know, we, the impact of COVID-19 was felt. And for many, it's still a factor. I want to pivot and talk about your small businesses now, because we're going to talk about this in another segment with PNC Bank, how they're trying to help entrepreneurs of color. Are your small businesses having a hard time finding workers as they're all trying to rebound from COVID-19 here, right? even though we're still in a pandemic?
2: Yes, I am um, constantly hearing of the challenges of finding people to work um being able to employ people so our unemployment rate has dropped dramatically since the beginning of the pandemic in february 2020 it was about 4.7 by the end of april it went to 20 and now we're back down in the single digit percentages and so that's a good thing but there are challenges in getting people to actually want to take advantage of jobs at this point and so um the fulton county has a small business um, loan recovery program that they've just released, we are mm-hmm. looking at ways and exploring ways to use some of our ARPA funds, American Rescue Plan Act funds to provide some local support to small businesses as well. Um, you know, so as the economy seems to be bouncing back, it's bouncing back differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think businesses are still trying to figure out like what the path forward really looks like to be able to be sustainable and profitable and, and provide quality services.
3: We have a listener that just sent in a question, wanted to know, what is the median household income? And if you didn't, I don't know if you knew that right off the bat, but I did some quick research. Now, according to the census, I mean, you're looking at maybe around from 2016 to 2020, the median household income was about 45000 Does that sound right to you in those years? That does
2: sound right. We um, saw some significant gains in the 2020 census. Our population increased by about 13.8%, just under 14%. Our median household income went up. We saw some, our poverty rate, people experiencing poverty went down within our city. And so we did see some um, positive gains. in in our 2020 census number. So yes, our median household income has gone up.
3: I guess these folks I want to move to East Point. I have another question here. Are y'all, they need to say y'all, you know, I'm adding that. Let me read it as they wrote it. Are they providing extra support for people who want to buy investment properties? Not if y'all gonna flip them and sell them. Right. So, So we
2: do have development authorities within our cities to incentivize developments that are aligned with the way that we want to grow in the city. So from an investment flipping perspective. And I
3: I shouldn't assume that this person was talking about that. I just, I just said that.
2: Yeah, we do have those tools within our city um, to be able to help support the right developments that come to our city. <laughs> the right development.
3: Let me ask you this, uh, before we move on to some other economic development concerns there, just how much in total did East Point receive in federal funding related to COVID? And I guess, imagine that you asked everybody that and they say not enough, but how much did you get from, <laughs> from Washington?
2: From, uh, from our opera funds, we received about $13 million. So mm-hmm. our first half was 6.5 and second was 6.5. So, Initially, we thought we were only going to get just under 11 million, mm-hmm. and when they made those adjustments, some cities kind of went down. We went up. And so okay. we allocated just under five million dollars of our opera funds to public safety, um, to no, go ahead, to um, provide additional upgrades to equipment, technology, um, to we're providing some relocation, bonus some incentives for our officers. We increased our starting salary. For our officers to $52,000 for non-certified officers and 55000 for certified officers. We have a new police chief who is absolutely leading the way mm-hmm. and making some very decisive steps and taking actions that show people that safety is and will always be our top priority. Well, I
3: want to talk about public safety in just a moment, but also, did you get any funding from Fulton County? Because there was an issue initially that some of the smaller cities within Fulton County did not, get, or at least... The, some of y'all felt that you didn't get enough of the pie. Um, there- yeah. So
2: the pie that was initially offered was absolutely crumbs. And we didn't take that. The mayors of the, the 14 cities in Fulton County outside of Atlanta, because Atlanta received their own funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we joined together and really became stronger together and advocating for um, more money. I don't want to say necessarily fair, but more money. And of that pool um, of funds, we received about $1.4 million initially, from the county um through the CARES Act funding, and we used about two allocated about two hundred fifty thousand dollars of that to utilities assistance for our residents. Cause at that point in the pandemic, the financial assistance had hit. Mm-hmm. Um, the need for financial assistance. We started providing food um in March of 2020. Uh, April, I'm sorry, of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so by that point, financial assistance was needed. So we did that. We um took care of some of um our first responders and like essential employees and pay for that but we were able to use that to provide utilities assistance
3: let's talk about public safety and and we listen we've had this conversation before not just with you but with so many other elected officials and 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 advocacy you know people that are advocates in the community concerned about public safety you all have had some uh, gun violence obviously is the at the top of that list, there you mentioned your new police chief. Are you all implementing any new initiatives, uh, Madam Mayor, uh, to deal with the the crime?
2: Yeah, and so I think the I talked about the staffing and equipment side. So when we think about it, there's a law enforcement piece of it, right? That we need to make sure we have officers on um, within our force, and that they have the equipment and tools to do what they need to do. We can't hire enough officers to be all over the city, which is why technology becomes extremely important. And so we have flock cameras throughout the city. We have um, a number of different technology resources that we're bringing to bear within the city as it relates to um, crime, as well as shot spotters. So these sound detection mm-hmm. systems that we put throughout the city as well to help us with sur- more surveillance, right? To get us eyes more eyes across the city. And you know also, a part of that is making sure that we continue to um, be proactive. But also, as our chief said, he wants, he's he's committed to being um, professional towards our residents and aggressive towards reducing crime. And those actions, he put all officers on patrol when he initially became chief to increase the number of officers patrolling our city, regardless of rank.
3: As you know, also, there are concerns about when it comes to crimes, in the communities, folks will say, well, let's look at why these crimes are being committed, uh, which could be a, a number of things, high unemployment, uh, Correct. You know, youth that are not in school, gang activity, all of that. Yes. Do y'all have initiatives to address that as well? And do, or do you, are you a proponent of those type of wraparound services that you think can be instrumental in, in deterring and even pre, uh, preventing crime, some crimes?
2: Absolutely. So um, the third layer of that is there are people who are experiencing life challenges that should not have contact with the criminal justice system, but should be connected to resources to help them be successful and thrive. And so we're looking at community alternatives and diversion. How do we create a structure within our city to partner with different agencies, kind of like the 311 that they pad 311 mm-hmm. in Atlanta. How do we create something like that in the city of East Point so that police officers are policing and they're dealing with policing matters. And then we partner in bringing other agencies and supports to help people are dealing with non-life-threatening challenges.
3: So you're looking at programs like that or you, you, you have one already? Are you looking at
2: No. So what we have is the beginning of that. So through um, during the pandemic, we also applied for emergency solutions grants from Fulton County. We were the only city in the county to take advantage of that opportunity to either prevent homelessness or help people who are experiencing homelessness. And so in doing that work, we now have a full-time staff person who is working with um, people and case managing them. And then when we received the CDBG grant funds of $500,000, for rental and mortgage assistance the person is helping with that and so that is the beginning of building the internal infrastructure because we're going to continue to do that work and so um, i look forward to our upcoming budget our city manager has indicated a commitment of expanding that work and so we will continue to scale up but yes we're doing it in that way right now but if will eventually expand it and scale it up so that is a permanent part of our infrastructure in the city
3: and of course this big news that just uh just came out involving Wellstar health system which says it needs to not close but it's going to convert i believe it's like a 200 bed uh hospital there in east point into a more of a primary care and, and rehabilitation center and outpatient uh it was all it was an well for Many days is left. It was an emergency department. Uh, What concerns do you have about this? Did you talk to Wellstar about this? Have y'all been in conversations about this prior to the announcement?
2: So I had a a call from some representatives of Wellstar. Um, I can share with you. I pretty much have as much information as the public has that's been shared in the press release and those types of communication. I've been asking for a meeting with leadership decision makers within Wellstar And look forward to that happening this week we're in the process of trying to coordinate that meeting um you know the reality of it is i I understand the data and the number that they share right so if you just look at what was shared 140 people on average go to the er per day and only seven of those people are admitted so to me that says well there's still seven people who needed intensive care so we're going to need to figure out how we still make sure that that level of life-saving services are there but what are the needs of the community? What are the healthcare needs of our community? And how do we have ensure accessible, quality, comprehensive health care for people in East Point and in South Fulton County? And what does that look like? And how do we move forward collaboratively? Right. And so I'm looking forward to those meetings.
3: So I want to be clear. Now, our listeners probably want to know, too, You you had no idea this was coming. Y'all had no idea this was coming.
2: No, so I, I serve on actually Wellstar Regional Advisory Board as well. And so the the information about the decision um, was shared, you know, sh- shortly before the public became aware, they start making the calls to let, rep, you know, um, electives know within the area and let other people know. But as far as what leading up to this and whether or not there was anything that can be done, I mean, we over the years, um, I've had meetings with Wellstar as well as bringing in local electives, our county officials, our state representatives, reaching out to the federal level, really trying to figure out how can we work together. Um, Wellstar is a private business, right? And so, you know, that my, I've always said I'm willing to leverage my network resources, relationships, and influence to ensure the success of that hospital, that healthcare facility for healthcare for our community. But, you know, it's, um, we have you have to respect their private business, this, the right to make those decisions. And what I'm asking for is for us to move forward collaboratively um, to get more information and more details about the realities of what exists and how do we ensure accessible, quality, comprehensive healthcare?
3: What's the nearest hospital then when this closes?
2: So the nearest hospital and emergency room will be um, Wellstar. They call it AMC Maine in downtown Atlanta. So that's about seven miles away, and then there's is a, that the one on Boulevard? Um, um, yes, no, yes, maybe. Yes. Okay, the one on there. There's the one on yes, the one on Boulevard. I mean, it has the it has a
3: helicopter pad for yes. landing for yes, for yes, yes, yes. trauma and stuff like that.
2: Yes, well, the it, one on Boulevard. Yes,
3: but um, even on a, a so, good traffic day, that's. Yeah. So we probably
2: need a helicopter pad on uh, the healthcare facility right. in East Point to make sure those seven miles um, do not put people in life-threatening situations. Especially
3: for those emergencies, which might be trauma or stroke or, or something right. or, or severe burns.
2: Right. I mean, because what the data that they shared show, it didn't show that there was no need, right? That it was 0%, that it was a low percentage. And, you know, every person is valuable. Every life is Worth saving, and so how do we make sure that this this new model moving forward incorporates that and has a structure and strategies and supports in place to really save lives?
3: Has Wellstar agreed to a meeting with you, Madam Mayor?
2: So they've agreed. We're trying to coordinate. I'll say it that way. So I'm I'm being graciously optimistic this week um, on this short runway to to have those conversations. Um, I, I do believe there's a path forward and I appreciate you making the distinction. Yes, the emergency room is closing, but there still will be healthcare at that facility. Mm-hmm. My goal is to make sure that there's still emergency life-saving support services there in addition to other healthcare um, services and needs that our community needs.
3: And especially since your city is is growing. Uh, if you just join us, I'm in conversation with Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram, the Mayor of the city of East Point. Let's talk about economic development. Uh, Microsoft just loves y'all because they made an initial announcement last year. They were building some type of data center. Now they come back and say, look, we're going to get some more property. We're going to keep building good, good, happy, sad. Where are you in all this?
2: So I, I'm not aware of the additional property they're trying to get, um, you know, it, it.
3: Or maybe it's in two phases. I want to be there. Is this a two phase situation with Microsoft?
2: So the the property in East Point, my understanding is a one phase is about a a little over 130 acres, there'll be five buildings, five data centers located on that and when they're up to full capacity, there will be a lot of power used at that site. Mm -hmm. And so when I was last here with you speaking about it, you know, initially we weren't given an opportunity to bid or compete for that power. In fact, the initial conversation we had with the representative from Microsoft indicated that they had been working on the power deal since 2016 and were close to signing the contract. And then we sent some letters to the CEO and their um, diversity leader. And we're, we were able to go through a process, but we ended up at the same place, um, despite Microsoft saying that they have a commitment to using their supply chain, chain to, um, for social change within communities of color. Um, we are absolutely a community that is primarily people of color, um, and power is a huge part of any supply chain. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, they they were y'all can't.
3: Use so, is that? Are you saying that the the energy infrastructure cannot sustain that?
2: No, I'm not saying that the energy infrastructure cannot sustain that. Okay. We bid it to actually provide that support. We can sustain it. We are um, a part of MEAG, the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia. And so we are as big as Georgia Power, almost, as when you look at the full um, scope, scope of the power company that we we're a part of. And so we submitted a competitive bid. We're also a nonprofit mm-hmm. um, power company, which means we sell... Our rates are at the wholesale cost of power, not with the profit or margin built in on the front end. And so we, I believe, were submitted an extremely competitive proposal, but nevertheless, Microsoft has decided not to um, use East Point Power. And that is a significant um, blow or a significant, you know, disappointment. From this part, this new corporate citizen that has become a citizen of the city of Eastmore, or will become a corporate citizen in the city, is
3: that of an option for businesses that they don't? Yes, have, it's, but it's not yeah, an option so, for residents.
2: It's only so the reason why it's an option for business it's it's the amount of power that you're buying. So mm-hmm. they call it at, at a, above a certain amount, it becomes a choice load. Gotcha. That that business. If somebody built a residence that would that need that much power, I doubt it. But that that's right. when you hit the choice. Okay. And so it makes um, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And so unfortunately, Microsoft did not choose East Point despite its alleged commitment to social justice and using a supply chain for societal change and empowering communities of color.
3: Well, what was the reason that again that they gave you?
2: And you know, it went on for quite some time. Um I, I believe it was around, at one point it was rates, at one point it was capacity. Um, you know, again, when we had the initial meeting about it, we were told that they had been working on that power deal since 2016 and that the power proceeds actually the real estate purchase. And so, um, you know, the 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 provider will be providing power to all of their campuses. We were only asking for the one at East Point, the the location where this, um data center will be we actually have infrastructure in the ground because we made the investment to attract development economic development to the area to be able to have the infrastructure there ready to meet power needs um yes given the load of this we would have to have done more but mm-hmm. we absolutely have the ability to do that and um unfortunately we are here where we are
3: how much money are you talking about east point could potentially lose out on on, a, on an annual basis here
2: so it- that was a multi-million dollar um, net. So you're talking probably over, over three and a half million dollars. So now they'll go after to- operations and all of that.
3: So that will go to Georgia power is what you're saying? Or some other,
0: some
3: <laughs> po- it's not yeah, like it's exactly. a lot of y'all in the area. Maybe. It's not
2: like it's a lot of us. And that <laughs> is the, the provider that they chose and the provider that will also have a commitment to social justice. Um, you know, Georgia power and, has a connection with MIAG because you're right, there's not so many, there's only mm-hmm. so many of us. Um I've had conversations with Georgia Power Reps and, you know, have continued to express my concerns along the way to Microsoft. You know, I, I think it's really important. A lot of times there's a lot of focus on external things, like mm-hmm. how we provide money to this program and how we do this external initiative. I think it's critically important that, you know, we look at the internal operations. Of, of corporations and, and businesses and see how they're living their values well, um, that they're talking about. Well, let me
3: ask you this, because someone listening says, well, you just said that Wellstar is a private business. They can do whatever they want. Um, someone listening may say, well, does Microsoft have the right to internally pick their vendors? I mean, that's for lack of a better words, or suppliers, although they yeah. may understand what you're saying. so. But in terms of community investment, what are y'all getting from Microsoft?
2: So Microsoft also has tax abatements for quite some time based upon the deals worked out at the state and the county, right? So, What are they giving your community?
3: That's all for Microsoft. What are they giving the East Point community? What investments?
2: So, I mean, at this point, there's a Better Block Foundation initiative that's happening on the weekend. There's been a little money here or there, but the impact uh, and the potential Um, benefit that could have been yielded to this community is not there. And yes, any business, any person, everybody has the right to make their own decisions. But I think when you go out and start talking about commitments to broader goals and more social justice and more social commitments and commitments to communities and things that you want to do, then that opens the door to have the conversation around whether or not you're walking it like you're talking it and whether you're living your values. Because
3: here in Atlanta, in the Grove Park neighborhood and, and where they where they bought up the, the 27 acres or whatever it was, uh, there, they have a, hev- a heavy community engagement process presence. Um, you feel like perhaps the city of East Point was sliding a little bit?
2: No, I mean, so there is a community development department within Microsoft and they are doing things here and there again, you know, I, I, The goal is to not be distracted by those things. That is what Microsoft does. They will come in and they will do those external type things, right? Um, And so we will get the benefit of that. When this was initially released, it is a $420 million investment, Mm -hmm. right, within the city. Um, And so that sounds like a lot, but when you're using power 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and the potential of uh, revenue and the potential impact on this community of color, um, which would be aligned with Microsoft's, you know, stated intent in their social justice platform to use their supply chain for societal change within communities of color, to empower communities of color. I mean, here was an opportunity um, to really do that internally. So they will do continue to do the external things and we are, you know, will receive the benefits from those things. But when you start talking brass knuckles tax and dollars and the value of that, We'll see if we get up to over three and a half million dollars a year.
3: As the old folks would say, I I I look at what you do and not what you say, huh?
2: Let's talk I about speak louder than words. <laughs> is
3: what they say. Um, you all gonna get a new elementary school there in East Point?
2: That's what they say. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I I'm just I try to be as optimistic as possible. But the the best indicator indication of future behavior is past behavior. And also how we got to where we got to. So, um, Dr. Latonya- I try to end on a
3: happy note. Y'all get a new elementary yeah. school for you. <laughs> After yeah, that Microsoft I mean, conversation,
2: I don't know, Mayor. Yeah, no, this, this won't be a happy note either. This is kind of more of the same, right? Um, the systemic inequities um, that have existed for decades within our education system manifest themselves in different ways. And so there was a plan to literally close this school, consolidate it with, a potentially another elementary school a middle school go back on the promise that they made to get the funds to re the rebuild the school um by the Fulton County School District and Dr. time Mike Rogers sounded the alarm we let elected officials know reached out to the other community organizations we started organizing and then showing up at meetings for about six months mm-hmm. saying rebuild Conley Hills and so eventually um they indicated they would, you know, not move forward with the plan that they had could clearly articulated to rebuild a the school. They saw a site, then they went to another site, and now they picked a site that's almost like right across the street, literally, figuratively, from another elementary school. And so hmm. that's what they've said. We have no timeline, we have no idea when that construction may start, as you can imagine the residents that live around the area that they are indicating is a proposed site have a lot of concerns that um, I'm hopeful to share and see how those can be addressed. So that's why I said, that's what they say. I mean, we'll see. But the school was supposed to already have been built in the um, last East Bloss Education Special Purpose Local Option Mm -hmm. Sales Tax that was approved by the voters. There were four schools, two up, two North Fulton schools and two South Fulton schools the two North Fulton schools are completed, and uh, a dirt, a pebble, a rock hasn't been turned in the city of East Point for the new school.
3: Well, they've budgeted about what, uh, from what I understand, about forty-four million to replace it. So,
2: yeah, there's the money—it's not a money issue. I yeah. mean, Fulton County schools has over a billion-dollar budget, hundreds. Of you just want you just,
3: you just you just need the school. is what you're saying.
2: I just need my my kids in this city, and the kids who attend schools in this city need to, to attend school in a quality, state of art learning environment that has mm-hmm. everything that they need to reach their full we potential. Wanna, we
3: want a STEM laboratory.
2: Hey, We, we want we a basketball future.
3: court, too, for folks like me to come out there and teach the little ones about it. nice jumping. We,
2: we want it all. We want the innovative hub. Like We want this school to like not only be for now, but the future of learning. And of we want them to have high expectations and put all of that same energy in schools in South Fulton, specifically in East Point.
3: From the city of East Point, Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram with an update. We've been following the population growth and economic development of the city for some time now. Mayor, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. I greatly appreciate you. And I'm inviting everybody to join the movement and join us in in moving forward and advocating for equity for our kids. There will be a convening on April 30th in the city of East Point.
3: Thank you, Madam Mayor. I appreciate it. Thank you. A closer look will continue in just a moment. I'm Rose Scott. We want to take the time now to remember and honor a longtime WABE classical music host, Robert Hubert, who passed away. He hosted Nocturne on WABE, it was a late evening classical program featuring music of all types from classical, romantic, and modern eras. Robert also hosted the Atlanta music scene, a weekly show bringing local and area concerts to our WABE listeners. He was the voice of FM90 and what later became 90.1 for so many decades. Yes, of course, he was a huge opera fan, fluent in Italian, and a great lover of classical music. He most recently stayed busy with WABE as host of several programs for our Sunday night classical broadcasts. He always would have something polite to say, and sometimes in some work environments, that's not easy for folks, but he was always polite and he always would say, I enjoyed that broadcast from the newsroom. He was a big supporter. Robert Hubert was 72 years old. This is WABE in Atlanta. We're back in a moment. And close Look continues from WABE Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Rebounding. That's the word used to describe how many of America's small businesses are trying to cope throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And we know that part of the struggles for black and brown business owners have always been, even before the pandemic, Well, lack of resources and access to capital. Here's what we know, that 41% of black-owned businesses closed in 2020 due to the ongoing health crisis, compared to just 17% of white-owned businesses. That's from a report out of the University of California, Santa Cruz. Well, there is something, that there's an effort to extend resources for Pacific business, for these specific businesses. PNC Bank recently launched the Minority Business Development Group. And joining me now to talk more about this is Marshalline O'Dneil. She's PNC's Bank's Senior Vice President and National Sales Executive for Minority Businesses. Marshalline, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: Good, good afternoon, Rose. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I am great.
3: You know, I just I had great. well, good. I just had a conversation with the mayor for the city of East Point, and she talked about how black, so many small businesses, were having a hard time in, in attracting workers. But that's just the tip of the iceberg for so many, on what we call minority or small business owners, and the plight throughout the nation. That's not lost on you,
1: not at all, not at all. And when you talked about those statistics, um, when you think about fifty um, percent of small businesses are minority owned Mm -hmm. in the last decade, you know, of of minority owned businesses, 3% of those businesses are black owned businesses. So we got a lot of work to do. And when you think about beyond that, a lot of work to be done.
3: When we say a lot of work to be done, there's sort of been a trend, um, I guess maybe the last couple of years with a lot of financial institutions, because I feel like I talked to all of y'all that you are coming up and implementing or for some I guess, improving or expanding resources that you all have for non-white small business owners. How did this latest one come about?
1: You know, DNC, we've always been big about diversity, equity, and inclusion even ahead of this. But I will tell you, during the pandemic um, and everything leading up to that really shed light on the disparities within the minority business um, um, businesses. Mm-hmm. And so The work that we've done, it was just the right timing to say, we're going to build this out. And it's not, you know, just about, you know, um, the solutions that PNC has to offer, because one of the things that we saw through the pandemic was the lack of relationships, Mm -hmm. having that dedicated and trusted banker in your community that you could turn to, to understand what do I do next? set aside the pandemic, just from sustainability of the business, how to grow the business. You know, there's statistics that show that 90, over 90 something percent of black owned businesses are sold props, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. when you talk about the wealth gap and the ability to scale, um, that's beyond just, you know, you know, access to, to capital. There is different solutions around the cash flow of that business and education that's needed along the way. And that's what we're looking to provide with this minority business development group.
3: Did you all look at, in terms of your own numbers internally, how many minority-owned or Black-owned businesses you all had, or or Hispanic and and Latino, and And did you all look at whether some of your requirements were also part of the problem? Did you take an internal look at what you all were doing?
1: Absolutely, because it's more than just putting boots on the ground. We have to look inward. And so, you know, as far as the number, and and you may be aware, you know, um, when you think about Reg B and and the ability to identify, that creates a little bit of, you know, where you can't get to precise numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that we were doing as we stood this up, so it's kind of a three-pronged approach. Yes, there's boots on the ground of of bankers throughout our community coast to coast. But then there was also the internal view. So one of the things that we also launched was the certified minority PNC minority business advocate program. Mm -hmm. This is available to over 60,000 employees throughout our footprint. Um, This will provide them education and information about the different disparities within our minority businesses. It's not all lumped together. It's broken out to look at our Black business owners, our Hispanic business owner, um, you know, our Asian Pacific Islander so that they are knowledgeable throughout the organization at every level so that as we are making decisions, as we are bringing new solutions, do we have a lens and a focus on minority-owned businesses when we bring those products and services?
3: And Marshall, that to me appears to be what might be really different with this program and in other institutions because they'll send me an email and say well we do it too but if, if y'all do i don't know about it but this is different because you are saying before we we know we need to address externally but we have to educate our folks who are in the the community and the branches who are making these decisions and let them understand the optics around whatever whatever whoever you are as a small business owner y'all need to understand these factors because you're going to be helped making the decisions
1: Absolutely. And that's where it goes beyond just the solutions and the resources. We're going to be teaming up with nonprofit and other community leaders that are dedicated to this, to where we can also be a mentor, be a coach. You know, we have expertise in-house around raising capital or strategy planning. We can be coaches and mentors to minority businesses that are trying to scale and trying to move the needle there. But then before they, you know, do that, we want to make sure that they are all knowledgeable about those unique challenges um, that they face um, within those uh, dem- demographics. Absolutely. Are, and are you all
3: then, too, looking at the requirements and are you also going to have specific initiatives for Entrepreneurs of color, small business owners who normally might have a little bit of challenges, maybe that the credit score is not right or whatever have you, you all will walk them through that process as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, a couple of things there. So I was part of a listening session um, with our CEO, um, as well as Richard Bynum, our corporate responsibility um, off, um, executive as well as nonprofits, small businesses, you know, to hear around, and this was throughout our footprint around the challenges and just to listen and hear what they were saying, right? And some of that was centered around, you know, how do you, you know, have someone that lives in the community, knows the community, you know, breaking down those barriers around the mistrust mm-hmm. um, that is out there in minority businesses. So that was a piece of it as well, of making sure that we're looking at the full gamut. And one of those that even our CEO talked about is that we have to look at our own internal requirement around access to capital. And so those have been some dialogues that I have been in as, in as well. But I think even further than that, I think we were probably one of the first back in 2020 to come out with the $1 billion um, commitment to STEM systematic racism Mm -hmm. Um, and then even since then we just announced last year the 88 billion dollar community benefits plan of which 26.5 billion is towards um, low to moderate income businesses Mm -hmm. and neighbor Mm -hmm. neighborhoods as well as small businesses.
3: The emails are coming in (laughs) folks say okay where do I sign up do I have to be Mm -hmm. a PNC bank already customer, can I move, email says, can I just move my business over there? I can't answer that for y'all, but I will tell you that. (laughs) Marshland will tell you how to get more information.
1: Absolutely. You can go to pnc.com backslash minority business. That will take you to one of our microsites that'll give you the mission of this minority business development group, but also the different solutions and resources that we have, not just product-based. You'll find articles out there around Um, the guide guide rails to SBA 101, Mm -hmm. you'll find out how to prepare a business plan, how to find a banker, you know, wherever you are, if you're looking to grow that business and take it to the next level, there'll be some great resources out there for you. And it's a
3: question I ask, I do so many of these conversations about types of program because folks want to know okay when we talk about probable outcomes and when we talk about how do you gauge the success of this do we have to wait five or ten years to to find out what this program from pnc bank actually did to help entrepreneurs of color
1: yeah yeah and you know like me i'm an achiever i want things to happen overnight right and i know what took us to get here you know it's going to take continuing to to push the dialogue and to challenge the norms and to get things changed, I do believe that with the product suite of solutions that PNC has, and when I think about earlier, we were, I mentioned, you know, one of the things beyond just the access to capital, one of the things that we saw was the lack of relationships, and we have a model that's built on creating those solid relationships to guide and to advise. So I believe that based on this strategy and with the advocates, we will be able to see measurable improvement over time.
3: And we want to bring you all back and maybe see how it's going in terms of folks being involved in the program. Marshall and mm-hmm. is PNC's bank senior vice president and national sales executive for the minority business and we've been, been in a conversation about PNC's creation of the Minority Business Developments Group. Marshall, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We want to bring you all back maybe in a few months to see how it's going. And, you know, if you all still need folks, we'll have a link yes. to your website okay. from ours. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Rose. Thanks for having me. Take care.
3: All right now. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Eder, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razell, who is also our engineer for today. If you missed any of today's program, it's online, as you know, WABE.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7pm. Stay tuned to 90.1 WAB Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.